Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Happy Mama Movement podcast. I'm Amy Taylor-Kabaz, mama, journalist, coach, and founder of Mama Rising. This podcast is a space of community and collaboration. We gather stories of matrescence, motherhood, womanhood, and change told by our Mama Rising coaches and mothers around the globe in the knowing that through our stories, we can begin to heal and change the way the world sees, values, and supports mothers everywhere. So, welcome to the Happy Mama Movement. And welcome to our special partner series. I have been exploring, researching, and coaching mothers around motherhood for more than a decade. And during that time, so often get asked, what about the partner? Is there something called patrescence? Do they go through similar identity shifts? What do dads feel as they become fathers? And how can we understand that experience better? And that is what this special series is dedicated to. I searched for three experts to explore different aspects of partnering as you become a partner and a parent. And this is what I am so excited to share with you today. And in this final episode in this special series, I interview Dr. Oscar Serilak, author of The Postnatal Depletion Cure and GP, about his experience of becoming a father, but also how the dads and non-birthing partners can understand what's happening to their partner, how they can understand what matrescence is and how they can actively support her through this experience. I think this episode in particular is great to send to partners in preparation for birth. All of the episodes in this series can be shared with your partner so they can understand how you are feeling and you can understand how they are feeling. To this podcast. Oscar, you have been probably my most regular person that I have reached out to over the last decade to come back in and speak to me and this amazing community of women around the world about matrescence, postnatal depletion, motherhood, parenthood, what we need to understand and do better. So thank you for once again saying yes to these conversations. Hi, I mean, uh... Yeah, it's, it's always great to talk to you, and we're going to be covering some new things today, uh, which uh, I think is going to be exciting. 
it's important, right? I don't know about you, but over the last decade of having these conversations, there's always that trying to understand what matrescence is and how we can understand the process of becoming a mother better. And then the follow-up question is, well, what about the dads? What about the non-birthing partners? Which is why I really wanted to start 2024 with this series. And we are acknowledging in some of the other interviews the very unique and sometimes similar changes that the non-birthing parent experiences, both in their identity, in their body, in their brain, in their hormones. But I wanted to start with you first. As a dad, a husband, but also in your clinic over the years, what have you, what led you to be so passionate about trying to understand this and speak about this differently? Because I know it started almost as a personal um, reflection on what you were seeing. Yeah, and, and you know, my journey started as a bystander, really. Um, I was very interested and very uh, enrolled to becoming a parent, but I really didn't know what was on the horizon. You know, I definitely can be guilty of what I call Pinterest parenting, kind of going, well, I think we'll do a little bit of this and no thumb sucking and we're going to do this kind of sleeping arrangement and just without any real experience, I think like many of us. And um, I, I was lucky enough to live in a community that was quite alternative. So there's quite a smorgasbord of conversations that were going on in terms of different styles of parenting, different approaches. It wasn't just kind of the um, uh, all, all the same quite narrow bandwidth that I think a lot of free uh, parents, you know, may, may experience. Mm. And early on in our first pregnancy with my partner, she said to me, darling, I think I want to have a home birth. And I was a, I'm a trained as a GP and, and uh, I'm very sad to say I kind of like went into a state of shock and was like, oh my goodness, you know, we, we're going to be one of those people, not even knowing what one of those were. But I was certainly taught to, as a, as a medical person, that home birthing was really risky, was you know, people who did that were not responsible. Mm. So I was just tying the line on that. And then I started to go, well, look, we're in a community where home birth is quite common. Um. And I had another dad who was also a GP in my community just kind of tapped me on the shoulder one day and said he had had two home births and um, and, and he wasn't uh, he he was a very uh, he he wasn't someone that was uh, doing anything particularly risky he was very straight you could say and um, he just tapped me on the shoulder and said Oscar you'll be fine. And, and that's kind of all I needed. And I started mm-hmm. then doing a lot of research about home birth and realized, oh my goodness, it's in some levels safer to birth at home than in a hospital. And once you start looking at the research, there is a very different conversation that's not a yes or a no regarding where a mother chooses to birth. And I was lucky enough to have three home births and have you know, quite profound experiences with those. Uh, as a father and I just was fascinated by what I was seeing happening to my partner and to my friends and and, and to a lot of the uh, 
clients that I was sort of seeing in the hospital and and I could just see the toll that it was taking not only on my partner's body and her mind and her her soul essentially uh, but everyone just seemed to get this huge drain from the experience and this huge activation and it was both of these things happening at the same time and I was like wow what is going on here um and I, I, I kind of got to the point where I, I, I realized there's a pattern going on of this kind of hyper-awareness, going into hyper-vigilance, going into anxiety and worry, and then sleep disturbances. Um, emotions would be kind of going on a, a roller coaster. Um, then a lot of odd physical things. And then this fatigue that's not like fatigue you've experienced before. I and mean, that's the classic mum fatigue. And I was like, oh, okay, I can see a pattern. I'm just going to go to the textbook and read it because um, things aren't going so well at home. Um, and nothing. As you know, there aren't any textbooks. There's no. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and I searched you know, different search engines, you know, medical ones, looking at libraries, uh, different languages. I actually hired a Dutch doctor who couldn't get work in Australia for eight hours a fortnight for, I think, eight months maybe. She, she was looking in German and Russian. And I was looking in Spanish and English, and we were just kind of downloading everything. And, and the list was pretty short at the end of that. Oh, my gosh. And to be honest, I, to be honest, I was kept on coming across these postpartum practices of traditional cultures and and initially it was annoying because it was like oh, just another, another traditional culture thing I, I I want the medical stuff but once I kind of realized there wasn't a whole lot of medical stuff there I was like okay well let's have a read what I think well, most people have some interest in traditional cultures and I started reading their practices and what they're kind of doing and I was like oh my goodness they're describing this activation issue and this kind of wobbliness, very different language, of course. And they've got these elaborate um, customs and conventions and, and time of confinement and everything to, and these are cultures that have never, ever had anything to do with each other saying the same thing. And I was like, okay, well, that's, that's the pattern. And I sort of started digging down into traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda and, and really got a lot more, um, uh, knowledge about the descriptions, I suppose. Yeah. And I've been very lucky because I, I wrote my book in 2018. Even then, you know, the first published paper of note that had come out about the mother brain was 2016, published 2017. I mean, it's just, it's. It's mind blowing. It's mind-blowing, bordering on um, you know, criminal potentially. Okay. Uh, but since that paper came out, the amount of research that is happening is incredible, and it's really starting to blossom. Mm. And so I, do, I feel so fortunate to be part of that wave in terms of just I've been very lucky to meet a lot of the top researchers in various parts of the world. Um, and every uh, three to four years, they have a parental brain symposium, which is about the mother brain, the father brain, the parental brain. Um, uh, and the next one's in Spain in not next year, but the year after, 2025. Um, 
and it's and there are a lot of people researching this this so it's 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 uh, a good time to be interested Mm. I mean, you and I could uh, do a whole podcast and we have had conversations in the past about the frustration that it's not until 2016 that this starts to even be a blip on the radar of the research. But what I would love to hear from you in terms of this conversation is that when a father, when a partner sees those things that you just explained, which is both the draining experience of childbirth and postpartum and those months afterwards, and also this activation, this completely new version of herself coming through, when you see that and witness that, and because we've never been taught about it or explained what that is, for you yourself first and then also what you would love dads and partners to understand is the, what what would you like them to know about that well you know the experience as a uh, a willing but perhaps quite naive dad was extremely humbling mm. um and you know, i could see that my partner had the superpower and the superpower was to be in tune with this new being to a level that's extraordinary, just in terms of their needs and where they're at. And, and you can see that they're having a conversation without words. Um, but that doesn't happen straight away. I mean, there's kind of... Um, and so there's a really beautiful, quite awe-inspiring part of the whole parenting journey. It's not all just exhaustion. Um <laughs> But then the sleep deprivation, and then it's like, why is not talking about the sleep deprivation as something you've got to get ready for and repair, not just, oh, you know, and joking about mum sleep and mum brain and just kind of expecting that those are expected sort of injuries that you're going to get along the way. And and another observation that I had at that time was, you know, we had quite amazing antenatal time, you know, lots of classes, lots of education, lots of people being very supportive. And as soon as the baby was born, mm. it was like the mother was forgotten. Um, and it was all about the baby. What's the baby doing? And is the baby okay? And is, oh, you know, is, is the baby gaining weight? And it's just like <laughs> um, yeah. not, not about the potential casualty that's <laughs> Trying yeah. to um, be in tune with the baby, and yeah, it can be very. And with our third child, I mean, an analogy I often use that we had quite a large garden. Um, and we were eating a fair amount of food from the garden after the first child was born. The garden got smaller and a bit more ragged. After the second child, smaller um, and more ragged. After the third child. Small and pretty much abandoned. And <laughs> um, I think, yeah, that, that analogy in terms of just, just um, because of the bandwidth that it takes to look after one child is huge. And then the chaos factor that can happen when you've got more than one child. And I was working uh, full time, I was on call. I really tried to make sure I had 
you know, gaps of hours during the day where I could be not working, but I always had to be, um, I, was, you know, I was on call for the local hospital uh, pretty much most of the time. And so uh, it was a very distracting experience for me. And and the other thing I really observed is the heightened emotions. That there might just be a baby cry or there might just be something that in a previous rendition of mum life was a pretty small event would suddenly become this volcanic event in terms of the emotions and the upset and the um, uncertainty that could um, you know, and and mothers can really be their own worst enemy sometimes in terms of the self-doubt and the self-blame and I'm just not good enough and I'm not doing enough I'm just not trying hard enough and all this kind of self-dialogue that's going on and you know and I've really come to a place now where that's most of the time is totally incorrect but that's how mothers feel it's we just don't support mothers and that's certainly in terms of you know having had this experience it had lots of beautiful moments enjoy moments and flying by the seat of my pants and what is going on um uh, am I losing my mind? Is my partner losing their mind? Um, and all going at very high speed sometimes. Uh, I have come to the realization that it's all about having support. Yeah. And so when a partner walks in at the end of the day and is greeted by, I've heard this a lot over the years of coaching so many women over the years. Even recently, I've started um, coaching dads in preparation or in those first early months of postpartum just to begin to expand the support. I hear things like, I used to be able to run a multi-million dollar company. I used to hold board meetings, Amy. I used to be able to deal with prime ministers on the phone, talking about myself in that way, and then at the end of the day with the toddler and a baby and I like the smallest thing, I, I can't cope with this anymore. From um, I would love to hear you to reflect on what's happening there in terms of the level of depletion, the overwhelm, the hormone, like the hormones, everything, so that when a partner walks in, begins to see what he's seen in front of him or they're seen in front of them. And I say that with such compassion because in my work with dads recently, what I've heard is the question, which is the title of this podcast, what happened to my partner? Like she was so capable and so amazing and and I'm maybe worried, but also I don't know what's just happened and so can we put a little bit of perspective and understanding around that, both for her and for the partner as well? Yeah, and mothers are not trying to be difficult or emotional or absent. Um, and the research is a bit complex, but if we kind of really make it simple, because of the placenta, the mother has a lot of deep internal brain changes. Yeah. By being a parent and just by the act of caregiving, you get a lot of external brain changes, the wrinkly parts of the brain. So, you know, dads, partners get get those. 
but that we don't get the internal brain changes. And and there are very key parts of your brain that are upgraded. Um, your stress response system gets fundamentally changed. And so what I'll often say to dads or, or to partners is, listen, you know, you're your wife or your partner is going, she's going to develop a, a super a number of superpowers. And one of them is that she can feel in we because of the amount of oxytocin receptors that are, and the modifications to the stress response center and the uh, hormonal response center of the brains. It's like, and she can't switch that off. Mm. But everything is about we. It's not, it's not, oh, I'm feeling upset. I mean, you could just substitute the pronoun, just put we for everything. Um, uh, and you'd, you'd have a better understanding of what's going on. Mm. Um, it's that whole it analogy, it, if they're not okay, I'm not okay. Exactly. And sometimes it's not just the mother and their child. That's what it's designed for, I think. Um, you know, all the reward systems also get, co-opted for the mother to get rewarded by her baby. Um, They think possibly the reward pathways are there for parenting and mothering and not for gambling. Um, And if anything is affecting that, she will become very unsettled. You know, it's like a factor times whatever you've experienced in the past. So if something's not okay with the baby, there's going to be a factor, and then if there's something not okay with us, whatever us is, it could just be, it could be you know, the country, uh, it could be my street, it could be the family unit. Um, I've, I've certainly seen during the pandemic that us get very wobbly. Um, wow. And it causes that hyper-awareness, which is normal, to go into hypervigilance. Hypervigilance then goes into worry, the what ifs, catastrophization. Um, and if it keeps going, you know, even thoughts of self harm and baby harm are actually very normal parts of that runaway train. Even though the mother, most times, is not, it's not even a remote possibility, but the, the thought train is just so, just going at full, full speed. And her ability to better regulate her stress also gets affected. Um, Her hormones will will get affected in a way that can really promote fatigue and anxious thoughts. Postpartum rage is something that's not really sort of talked about either. And that's all just part of these mechanisms of the brain that's trying to recalibrate, starting to spark almost, if you like. It's like an engine running too hard. Can we talk about that for a moment? So the brain is trying to recalibrate, right? So that we've yep. just been through this massive change and we're trying to figure it out and understand why we're suddenly so distressed by everything that we're seeing or you know what, what you was just what you were just saying about how the we are not okay can be so much bigger than just me and my child. I mean, my eldest has just turned 16 and I still feel that. I still feel at times almost irrationally upset about we 
are not okay. So that was a really, thank you for putting that into such powerful perspective that um, really hit home. But I'm trying to understand. So the brain is trying to reconfigure how we're thinking and we're seeing the world and we've got all of these changes. But at the same time, we've also got that beautiful tsunami of no sleep, isolation usually perhaps, and Mm. learning new skills. Like we're also trying to, you know, figure out how to feed and what that cry means and all of that. So all of that together, that's the that's the postnatal depletion that you talk so beautifully about. That's the thing that we really need to understand about this time. Exactly. So there's a time of vulnerability and mm-hmm. mother's hormones and the, her body hormones will then help recalibrate the brain uh, fluctuation. So that kind of how easily the brain gets anxious or how easily the the brain can sort of feel calm and safety is something that a mother needs like she's never needed it before and oxytocin and and that is is part of that now if you could put safety into a pill you know you'd need to be giving that you know 10 times a day as it were but the interesting thing about safety is like you can't even measure safety. It's purely an experience that you have. And everyone's probably different about what safety feels like, but you can get a sense of what safety isn't um, uh, in terms of many people or lots of loud noises or um, uh criticisms by other people or just you know the, the barrage of things that mothers can can experience and so i really try to promote a sense of safety whatever that is going to look like for the partner and for the mother mm-hmm. um get a sense of what helps promote that because that's going to make the mother's brain and the, and the father's brain um work, work better and then how do you make up for the lack of sleep? So that's a really, really important discussions around that. You know, the average sleep loss is 700 hours in the first year. The average adult needs about 3,000 hours. It's a pretty big chunk. But you can be okay with 700 hours of sleep loss if mm-hmm. you plan for it and prioritize it. Um, I believe a lot of this supposed baby brain and the forgetfulness of mothers and this inability to do uh, what seemed like pretty straightforward tasks previously relate to too much overwhelm, um, prolonged sleep debt, and a bunch of hormones that are trying to um, get back online, but are struggling or perhaps you know really erratic uh, in their production, and that the brain doesn't like that. Mm. And you know, something you alluded to before, which I really like, is this idea of learning. I mean, if you're going to provide a classroom environment for someone to learn, what would that be like? You know, is it going to be quiet? Probably. Is it going to be full of distraction? Hopefully not. Um, and so you can take some of those elements into the home environment, which is essentially the classroom for the baby and the mama. Um, that's so true. And and then, as you've talked, you know, you would have talked about a lot of this idea of of having different metrics about who you used to be. You're not who you used to be anymore. You this 
Um, but there can be so much role conflict that can happen as well. That I'm a partner, I'm a sister, I'm a I'm a neighbor, I'm a um no, I'm a daughter, and all these kind of roles that we have. Neurobiologically, mother goes first, whether you like it or not. <laughs> Wish they told you that. Wish they told you that. Didn't know that one going in. <laughs> yeah, smack bang, top of the pile, nothing you can do about it. And um and and and, and this is challenging. Well, it's challenging if you're not prepared for it, both for the mother and also the partner. And I think yeah. in the series, in all the conversations I'm having around partners within this experience of matrescence, it is we all just need to be aware that this changes everything. And when neither partner knows that or expects that, that's when resentment and breakups and, and that's when that all happens. If we could just all know she's not going to be the same again and neither are you and that's okay let's talk about it get ready about ready for it and check in with each other along the way that's that's the reality we all need right that's that's the mud map yeah in terms of yeah just 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 going this is kind of a brief outline but what you what you're used to and what that that's mm -hmm. that was a nice part of your life hopefully um and everything is going to be different now. Yeah. And you, and you have to nurture your previous, you know, your sense of who you were, but really embrace the new person that you're becoming. And then becoming a father, you you really can grow as a human being. It's such an, an amazing opportunity to um, and develop skills in, in ways that you could never do unless you were there looking after your little ones and, you know, Getting your hands dirty and you know, take you know, trying to take chunks of the sleep loss and uh, really sort of being involved and um, yeah you know, I, I, mean, I really feel for partners and, and fathers who don't have the opportunity to be involved very much because of work commitments or because of um, I mean, there can be a whole lot of issues in our modern society and that um, yeah, and you touch on an interesting point here about resentment. So they reckon that a mother has bungee jumped about 12 months ahead of the father or partner in terms of their evolutionary journey, in terms of what they're thinking is important, what the kind of conversations they want to have. Um, wow, and, 12 months. And, and this, is, this is why you know, the, the partner comes kicking and screaming a lot of the time going I'm, I'm not quite ready to have discussions about where the kids are going to school because you know, they're still in nappies you know and, and 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 but this is kind of what I'm meaning I mean that's just a very no uh, I agree with you but, example, I also but, that, but I also hear it Oscar in um the coaching sessions around the partner isn't quite ready to accept the changes within the relationship because they're still not fully seeing that everything has changed yet. Like the the level I would imagine, because as you said, all human beings involved in the birthing and newborn experience experience brain changes and hormonal changes, but there isn't that extra element if you were the birthing parent. If that bungee jumps us further along that path, then we have to have compassion for each other. I, the way I see it, that while I'm 
12 months down the track and I'm now thinking about, well, when the baby wakes and if that happens, whatever, he's still like, yeah, but can we just go back to what we were because I really miss that and why can't we have that? And there's, there's a, we have to be patient with each other in this level of accepting that everything has changed. And so often the birthing mother has the benefit. It's a freaking rough road, but we have the benefit of our body making us accept the changes quicker, perhaps then. The non-birthing parent who's just like, yeah, but can we just connect like we used to? And her body's like, uh-uh, nothing's the same anymore. Like that's a huge gap that I wish we could be more compassionate about. It is. And ideally it's not the mother encouraging the partner on that journey. It's our mm-hmm. That that should be encouraged by involved others, and and um, and I and I really encourage dads to specifically dads to seek out father role models that they quite like, yeah, and ring them up, talk to them, whatever you know, language is appropriate. Going, hey, listen, mate, I, I really admire the way you kind of do your dad thing. I mean, can we just sit down mm-hmm. and have a cup of coffee and just? I'm about to be a dad myself, or I'm, you know, I've got a little young one, and I'm just, um, I just really need some tips. Or I'm uh, sharing stories between dads is very powerful, and especially yeah. fathers who are a little bit further along the journey than you are can gain insights that are invaluable. You know, it's not about the advice stuff so much, but really listening to another dad's wins and losses and just where they were like, oh, mate, I did not know what was going on for a while there. And just, <laughs> you know, just um, th- things came good. And and that yeah. that may be enough in, in terms of having shared a story um, rather than this is the new normal and whatever that means. And, now, something else I really encourage um, fathers to really sort of think about is intimacy. Now, now, I'll often say, because I have a lot of couples coming in for postpartum planning and uh, typically towards the end of the pregnancy. So just in part of it, we know we talk a lot about the neurobiological changes of the brain and also about what's happening for the dad or the, the partner. And then... No, I really try to encourage the couple to have discussions before the baby's here about certain topics. And some of it's just very transactional about getting lots of food and making sure that that's, that's all sorted for the first six weeks. Um, but then the whole communication and connection side of things. And I'll, I'll tell the, the fathers, look, mate, if, if, if that's kind of appropriate, um, <laughs> things are going to change. You're going to go from a you know, the kind of this, especially if it's a first child, you know, this romantic, um, you're going you know, from a romantic love model to a mature love model. Mm. And this just needs some exploration. There's a new language that sometimes you have to learn and you have to really redefine what intimacy is. That's that's the key part. And I, I really love Esther Perel's definition and I'll often sort of Say this that intimacy is a place that you go, not something that you do. Mm. And you, know, you can sometimes see you know, the 
the dads were struggling with that conceptually. And the other thing I really encourage is about resources. I mean, an under-resourced male um, is going to really struggle and is not going to know where to turn to when things are getting challenging. Do you mean resources in terms of knowledge, support, places to go? Exactly. Resources in terms of skills, in terms of books, podcasts, apps, friends, um, even governmental helplines. Just it's good to know what the whole landscape is and go, okay, if if this is getting worse, at least I can there's a couple of places I can call professionals and then I can you know, I've got one dad who I he kind of I've been been keeping tabs with and he kind of knows that I'm not doing so well so I can call him and so that's that's your resources um thank you for pointing that out and we do we do have a list of those in um in the show notes just recently I've become a Gidget Foundation ambassador and it just blows my mind Oscar my eldest has just turned 16 and the difference in the support and conversation around dads now compared to 16 years ago I'm sure you feel the same like nobody was talking about this very well for mums let alone the partners 15 years ago it is it's really exciting and also frustratingly late but at least it's starting that we are here we are acknowledging that this change when you become a parent is huge and we have to put different preparations around it. We have to be more honest about it. We have to acknowledge the impact it has on so many different areas of our life. And it's it's great that we're finally doing that for the non-birthing parents as well. Yeah, and I think intergenerationally, you know, this is how we change. You know, it's it's um, yeah. and that's always been my goal, and I'm sure your goal is that. For our kids, this has to be easier. Oh, amen. <laughs> um, and my oldest is nearly eighteen now, and it's just you know, he—he's living in a different world with different um, mm. values, mm. different languages. Well, <laughs> um, and you know, his journey is going to be very, very different if he decides to go down the sort of the family pathway. But it's. Um, and, and they don't have naivety. I mean, this is the thing that I think is a big difference between our generation and their generation is we, we were pretty naive in a lot of ways and we didn't necessarily have access to information and then there's always be um, uh, the older kids who kind of knew a bit more than us and then, you know, the misinformation <laughs> that we were probably getting. Um, whereas, you know, they've bypassed that. Now yes, I often, kids, um, I often say to my kids, my Google was uh, the schoolyard. <laughs> That's where I found out most things. That's not good. <laughs> yeah, there are risks involved with both options. But um... <laughs> but I do hope that, I mean, I, I agree. I think our kids, what we are doing, not just you and I, but all of us in these conversations and in the way that we're bravely sharing the stories of vulnerability and and struggle and joy and, and like you said, the activation that we experience through parenthood, the more we can be honest about this, the more we change it for those future generations. And 
as I said before, the intention with these conversations in particular was to bring that that gap between the new parents perhaps a little closer, that compassion for each other, because that's something that's been incredibly heartbreaking over the years to hear so many stories and in my own experience that I didn't know what was happening to me and I felt so isolated and neither did my partner and he felt so isolated. But actually, if we could see each other with that compassion of, oh, my God, you don't know what you're doing, neither do I, this is terrifying, are we okay? If that could just close a little bit and I find what I need and he finds what he needs, then maybe that enormous space between the two new parents will close a little. Yeah, it's a very loaded situation, unfortunately, and very intense and a lot of beauty and the potential for sparks Mm. in there and and we really need other people in our corner we do to kind of help us as well i mean if you look at traditional societies the mother got pretty much zero percent of her emotional needs from the father from their partner uh, yes yeah yeah and, and and they were kind of pretty involved with the life so we, you know, we just have a, a pretty unique um mm. sort of situation but like you say compassion is so important Creating space when there isn't the strong emotions is really important as well. Mm-hmm. Because if you're honest, having conversations when someone's either sad or angry, I mean, they don't often um, resolve much uh, and they're not really where the conversation needs to be. It's like whenever you're having an argument or a, um, a friction point, they're just signs that you need to have that conversation. And I think that's um but in a very different kind of way mm. um and i think and the biggest gift that i've experienced being a dad is and it might sound a bit strange but it's, it's around the fact that i don't have to really think what is it that i want to do because as an involved dad that's kind of a bit of an irrelevant question it's much more about well what do we need to do at the moment and because of being in that space and not being just me 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 um the depth of my experiences and the places that i've been and uh been able to share have been much deeper than if i was kind of go i'm going to go fishing today or do i want to go hang out with my mate you know it's just that, that kind of you know, perhaps what a lot of pre-dads are kind of used to. And it, it might sound odd, but it's like the ego can just relax. It's like, I don't have to really, you know, that me, 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 me just really starts to quieten down. And, and uh, I, I really have found that to be uh, a, a silver lining that I was not expecting. No one ever sort of told me that, but it's been something like, oh, yeah, yeah. It just, it feels good just to be doing the right thing almost and then just, um, playing with your kids it's like that's the best thing and you don't often or, or school projects or things that you're kind of like well who wants to do a school project I mean <laughs> but that act of well needs to be done and then the interactions that kind of happen it's just it's uh it builds experiences and that that can be remembered about years later that were quite meaningful and profound wow i love that 
That is an absolutely beautiful way to finish. Thank you so much. Thank you for all of your work over this time and your continual support and jumping on this podcast with me. We will put all of your resources in the show notes for both mums and dads and people who work with birthing parents because you also have practitioner support and so many amazing resources. So thank you, Oscar, for your wisdom and insights as always. Oh, thank you, Amy. And to all you uh, dads and partners out there, just wishing you the the smoothest journey uh, possible. And yeah, it, it's a journey. It's a journey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, as always, for being a part of our global matrescence community. Please take a moment and make sure you're subscribed to this podcast in your podcast player so you can always be notified of our next episode. And if you would like to work with a coach on your own experience of matrescence, please go to mummarising.net and explore our directory of phenomenal coaches, workshop leaders, space holders and facilitators around the globe. You can also explore our Global Matrescence Foundation and consider donating so a mama in need can access the support of one of our coaches and still ensure that our coaches receive the income and support they need so they can continue to work in this way. And finally, if you would like to be a coach, a facilitator and a matrescence activist in your own community, jump on our wait list for our next intake of the Mama Rising Facilitator Training at mamarising.net. Thank you for being here and being part of this movement. Until next week, bye. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.